Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Well, there's probably no more tender part of us than where we have been wounded, where we have been hurt by, by others. I was talking with a couple recently, and this, this young mom, and they gave me permission to share this, but this young mom was telling about some instances as she was growing up where she felt very clearly that um, her parents were putting their work ahead of their relationship with, with her. And in, in fact, it's, uh, the, the situation is that her dad is a pastor, so this is particularly personal for me. But one instance that she relayed was that when she had gotten to college, and so she was living several hours away from home, she contracted a, a debilitating illness that landed her in the hospital. And her parents told her that they were not able to come and visit her because they had too much preparation to do for something that was coming up at, at the church. And it wasn't even a Sunday morning. And so I hear that, and my heart is really grieved. And then there was a, then there was a more recent situation where she was on the phone with him, and he just, in just a really rude way, said, I, I don't want to see you. I don't want to talk to you, hung, hung up on her. I mean, when we experience those kinds of hurts in life, it can be really hard to stop replaying those things in, in our minds. I don't know if you have a list like that, if you have some instances that have happened to you that you just keep replaying. Sometimes we replay them um, because we are feeling vindictive. Uh, we're feeling like, uh, I, I, whether consciously or unconsciously, I'm trying to figure out how do I get back at this person for the hurt that they've inflicted on me. But sometimes it's not in, in vindictive. Sometimes it's self-protective. Sometimes it's, um, I need to keep this in front of me. I need to not forget that this person did this. So I, I'm the type of person where I know somebody might hurt me, and I'll forget the details of what they did, and I just have this kind of sense of like, oh, this person's not safe. And so sometimes I feel like I need to keep replaying the specifics of what they did because I don't want to let my guard down. I don't want to accidentally say, oh, this person's okay, let my guard down, and then it happens again. And so there's, there's different motivations for us to keep those lists. But, and I don't want anybody to raise their, their hand, but I want you to just think to yourself right now, does somebody come to mind, does some situations come to mind where you've got a list, maybe something like a ledger, that where you're keeping track of debts that someone has incurred uh, against you? Um, if, if that's the case for you, then you're not alone. Because I'm sure if we did raise our hands, probably most every hand in the room would, would go up. If you're new here this morning, you may be here thinking, you know, everybody else, you know, this is church, so everybody's got it together, nobody is bitter. You would see that this is more common than, than you might think. If you could raise your hand, I, I have a confession to make, and that is that I've, I've kind of set you up here this, this morning, because what I, I need to say something really lovingly to you if you have a list like that in your mind. 
And that is this, that the list that you're holding on to is sin against the Lord. Now, I know that someone has sinned against you, and that is why you have that list. But when you hold on to that list and don't let go of it, you are sinning just as much as that person sinned against you. And no, no doubt, you are probably making the situation worse. You're probably hurting people around you without maybe even knowing it. You're definitely hurting yourself if you're holding on to those lists because there's all kinds of studies that have been done about how our health erodes when we hold on to, to bitterness. And so this morning, we're gonna hear God's very clear call to us to let go of the lists, to, to get rid of it. And we're gonna talk about why that is so important and why even that is appropriate, which may sound really strange, but then we're gonna talk about how do we do that. So if you take a Bible and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. If you wanna use one of the Bibles there at your seats, it's on page 1062. My prayer is that this is a message that brings a lot of freedom to somebody in, in this room. We're in a series um, called Perfect Love, and we've been looking at a passage of scripture that's fairly familiar to a lot of us. It's often called the love chapter. And it gives us a description of, of love. Love is patient, love is kind. And, and oftentimes we look at this as a celebration of love. Just isn't love awesome when it's done right? And if we look at it as a celebration, we can just kind of slap it on a coffee cup and think, oh, that's warm, fuzzy, and just kind of move on. But we, what we've actually said as we look into this is that this is not a celebration of love as much it is, as it is a correction for us because we do not know how to love well. The whole letter of 1 Corinthians is to a church that is very messed up. The whole letter is a correction and this right in the middle is no exception because we don't know how to love well. Actually, someone used the word with me. We were talking about the messages, the series that we're in and they used the word rebuke. This is like a rebuke to me because I know I don't love well. So it should jar us as we listen to these things that where we realize, man, I'm not doing this well. I need to improve. I need God's help to improve. And so let's, let's read, let's begin in verse four. Love is patient and kind. We unpacked those words a few weeks ago and we saw that love is patient. That, that word patient is better translated actually long-suffering. So when someone wrongs us, that we are long-suffering, we have a long fuse before we blow up. Love is patient and kind. Love returns good for evil. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Another way to say that is love is not selfish. Daryl talked to us about that last week, taught us about that, that love is not self-centered. Real love is God-centered. And I loved that, Daryl, you took us to um, Philippians 2 and the example of, of Christ and that Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He made himself nothing for our sake. And, and Daryl asked a question last week that has really been haunting for me this week. It's a, it's a haunting question. It's also a, a spurring question. And the question was, what if God were selfish? 
And I thought, wow, what, what if? I mean, that's a haunting question because if God were selfish, we would all be without hope. If Jesus hadn't given up his position to come and sacrifice himself for us, we would be without hope. But it's spurring to me because God's not selfish and, and he did give his life for us. He gave up everything for us. And so it inspires me to say, God, you did that for me. I want to follow your example as you give me strength to do that. Reading on in verse five, love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Resentful is our word for, for today that we're gonna focus in on. Some of you, if you're, if you're reading from an English Standard Bible, you have a footnote at the bottom. If you're reading, unfortunately, if you're reading from those Bibles that are there on your seats, it doesn't have all the footnotes in for, for whatever reason. But if you, if you have a footnote, there it says in the ESV, love does not count up wrongdoing. That is a better translation of, of the Greek because actually what we see in, in the translation here is love is resentful, that's one word. There are four words in the Greek and they're actually best translated by the NIV, love keeps no record of wrongs. New American Standard says love does not keep an account of a wrong suffered. The word here, the key word here is really an accounting word. It's about keeping a ledger. It's about keeping track of debts. And so I, I went to our bookkeeper, Laura, and I asked her if we have any ledgers around the church. And of course we don't keep written ledgers anymore. Everything is done on, on software and I didn't want to lug a computer in here and that doesn't have the same effect. So she got me this, which is a, a record book and a ledger book of sorts from our church history. It starts in 1969. It's like, uh, it's almost as old as I am. And it, it is the business meeting uh, minutes. It, uh, it does have some finances in here. And the purpose of a ledger book like this is to record things that you want to remember permanently, right? That's, that's what the purpose of a ledger is. And what Paul is telling us here is that when it comes to wrongs that are done to us, we are to not keep a ledger. We are to keep no record of wrongs. I, I'm sure you never do this, but I have heard of marriages and, and friendships where people keep score of each other. Like they kind of keep score of, well, you know, you're doing this and you're leaving your clothes on the floor. I'm seeing some nods and elbow things flying here that, you know. Anyway, um, we, I, I've heard that, you know, sometimes that, that happens and we keep score and I, I heard the story of one husband who was talking to his friend and said that every time we get, my wife and I get into a conflict, she gets historical. And his friend said, don't you mean hysterical? And he was like, no, I mean historical because every time we get into a fight, she brings up everything I've ever done wrong. And so that's the, that's the problem here. And guys can do that as well, okay? So this goes both ways just because the women, some of the women are away at women's retreat. That's not why I, I shared that, but... Um, William Barclay says, um, so many people nurse their wrath to keep it warm. They brood over their wrongs until it is impossible to forget them. Christian love has learned the great lesson of forgetting. So love does not keep score. Love does not keep a record. It throws away the ledger. 
I'm not going to throw away this book because I would get in, into trouble. That is, I'm going to acknowledge that that is easier said than done. It is, it is hard to put away what someone has done to us. It is hard to put away what someone has done to us when it's actively going on. You may be in a situation where you're, you're in a home or you're in a workplace where you are getting wounded over and over and over again. So what is Paul saying here? Is he saying that we should just be a doormat? We should just let that roll off our back? We shouldn't even pay any attention to it? Well, let me make a distinction here between being abused and keeping track of the abuse, okay? I don't believe that Paul is calling us to stay in an abusive, toxic kind of situation. I wanna be really careful how, how I talk about this. So, so just hear me, and, and I'm also very cautious about this because I know that a broad brush stroke is not gonna be able to, to help you work through a situation you're in if you are in an abusive situation. But let me just say this. If you are being wounded, if you're currently in a situation at home, at work, where you are being wounded physically, being wounded sexually, I, I wanna encourage you, do not continue to endure that. Don't, don't continue to keep yourself in that space because you think that that's what God would want you to do. It is, it is not unchristian for you to remove yourself from being wounded over, over and over again. Now, if, we, if we're gonna talk about then, does that mean I can divorce my spouse if they are wounding me? That's, that's a much more complicated situation. I'm not even gonna get into that. But I do wanna offer that um, our, our pastors, our elders, be, we, would, we are available to, to talk with you about the nuances of any of these situations. But, but I wanna say also, a reason I wanna be cautious as we talk about abuse is because that word abuse has also been used very broadly to include a lot of things that, if I can say this really carefully, sometimes when we think somebody else is abusing us, it's really more about our own baggage than it is about what they're doing to us. And so this is where it, it sometimes you, you need a voice, and an objective caring, mature voice outside to, to help you sort through that again. But, but to come back to, to my point earlier about if, if, you're, if you're being physically or sexually abused, that is, that's pretty crystal clear. I'd encourage you not to stay in that situation. But again, the distinction here is Paul's not talking about abuse. He's talking about holding on to bitterness about the abuse. Let's get you out of an abusive situation but then you have a forgiveness issue to let go of what has been done to you. When, when to stay, when to go, that can be complicated, but keeping the ledger, that issue is, is very clear. He makes it crystal clear here. Love is not resentful. Love keeps no record of wrongs. I can imagine some of you thinking about your list right now and the person that wounded you, and I can imagine you saying to me, yeah, but they don't deserve it. They don't deserve forgiveness. And my response to you would be, if you said that to me, you're right, you're, you're absolutely right. They don't deserve it. But we don't forgive someone because they deserve it. We forgive because we have been forgiven. We don't forgive someone because they deserve it. 
We don't forgive someone because what they did to us really isn't that big of a deal. You know, we downplay it and we just say, yeah, that's not worth bringing up to them or working through. We don't forgive someone because they ask for forgiveness, because they apologize, because some people never will. So we don't wait for that. We forgive because we've been forgiven. I want to expand on the, the key word that shows up here in, in verse 5, the word that you, you can't see in the English here, but the, the word count. Does, love does not count up wrongdoing. That, that word count is our ledger word. It's our accounting word. And that same word Paul uses elsewhere in his letters, particularly in Romans chapter 4. So in Romans 4, Paul is quoting Psalm 32, and he says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. See, God does not keep a ledger of our sin, and so he calls us to not keep a ledger of sins against us. But here's, here's the amazing thing about the gospel. Here's, here's what blows our minds, is that God does not stop at not counting our sin against us. He actually credits to our ledger the righteousness and the goodness of Christ. So later in that same chapter, Romans 4, he's talking about Abraham, and he says, Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness, but the words, it was counted to him, were not written for Abraham's sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. See, the great news of the gospel is not only does God get rid of the ledger where it's recorded what you and I have done to sin against him, he gets rid of the ledger and then he replaces it with the ledger of what Christ has done. He is fully righteous. And if you notice, like this far outweighs our ledger because Christ's righteousness is, is perfect, his capacity for righteousness is, is unmatched. And God credits that to our account. That is the reason why we are called to forgive. That, that is the reason why you and I are obligated to forgive. Because whatever we have done against God is far more, it is far more sinful than what anybody could do towards us. And God goes beyond just forgiving it. He credits righteousness to, to us. If God kept a ledger on us, we would all be doomed. But he does what love does in verse five. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Paul repeats this in his second letter to the Corinthians. We're studying the first letter to the Corinthians. Second Corinthians five says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Praise, praise God. He doesn't count our trespasses against us. So that's what God does towards us and he calls us to do the same towards those who have sinned against us. Colossians 3 says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You and I, when we are in Christ, are holy and beloved, not because of our ledger, 
but because of what Christ has credited to us. So because of that, we are to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. This is sounding a lot like 1 Corinthians 13, isn't it? Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So this all sounds like, well, maybe that's what we should do. It, it may sound a little idealistic. Sometimes a story helps to drive the point home. And it so happens that Jesus told one. So if you would turn from 1 Corinthians 13 to Matthew 18. Many of you are familiar with the story of the unforgiving servant. Um, this is one that never, ever, ever gets old to me. I need to hear it over and over and over again. Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Peter thought he was being generous here because the prevailing thought in, in this day was to forgive three times. That's a number of completeness. So like if somebody sins against me three times, can I just forgive them three times? And then after that, I don't have to forgive them anymore. So Peter's being really generous. He's like, how about Jesus? I'll do seven times, another number of completeness. And Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some manuscripts actually say 70 times seven. And then Jesus tells a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Settling accounts, that sounds like he's pulling out the ledger books. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, we, we need to pause here and, because we don't know what a talent is and that, that doesn't have the impact. We need to feel the impact of what Jesus' listeners felt. So 10,000 talents, you may, may or may not have a footnote at the bottom of your page that says a talent was worth about 20 years' wages for a laborer. I'm not great at math, but Jesus is saying it's 10,000 talents, 20 times 10,000, 200,000 years' worth of wages. 200,000 years. How did this man even incur that amount of debt? I mean, people were listening to Jesus' story, and they're like, wow, what did this guy do? Verse 25. And since he could not pay, wow, that's the understatement of the year. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Go to debtor's prison. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. He didn't forgive the debt because he knew he could pay it back eventually. He, he knew he would never pay it back. He just canceled forgave the debt. Verse 28, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. All right, so we need to understand what a denarius is. A denarius is one day's wage. So this is 100 days wages. That is not insignificant. I mean, if you took a third of your income for the year, I, I dare say you, you wouldn't want to just write that off. I mean, it's a significant debt that he owes. So 
He owed him 100 denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Doesn't that sound a whole lot like what the... The guy just said himself, when his fellow servants, oh, I'm sorry, verse 30, he refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt, 200,000 years worth because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Wow. So obviously the impact of this story lies in the difference between the debt, 200,000 years wages versus 100 days wages. Don't, don't, get, don't, don't get distracted with this parable about whether it's talking about our eternal destiny. This, this parable is not about our eternal destiny. This, this parable is about debt. So when it says at the end that the master delivered him over to the jailers, does this mean I'm going to hell if I don't forgive someone? That's not what this passage is about. And if you're asking the question, can I not forgive someone and still get to heaven? You are asking the wrong question. You should be asking the question, God, will you give me the strength and ability to forgive this relatively small thing that someone has done to me compared to what I, the debt that I have incurred against your holy person. The point of the parable is to convey how seriously God takes unforgiveness. I appreciate the way Gentizen Franklin talks about this parable. He says, the way I read it, this means we are to forgive the same person 490 times each day. That's the 70 times seven. That is a lot of forgiving to do. At a rate of one act of forgiveness every three or so minutes, you could spend an entire day just forgiving someone. But this is not about numbers. Jesus was giving us a new math formula, a new set of truths for us to walk in forgiveness. The first truth is this. Forgiveness is not about keeping score. It's about losing count. The Father provides a perfect example of this for us. Remember, Colossians said, if, if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. It's a command to forgive. It's not an option. It's not if I feel like it. It is a command. We forgive because we have been forgiven. So the possibility that Jesus is holding out, and this is, this is really beautiful, is that it is possible for you and I to be wronged in this life and not be dominated by that not have our lives ruined by what someone else has done to us. This, this is captured really beautifully by an early church father named Chrysostom. He says, as a spark falls into the sea and does not harm the sea, so harm may be done to a loving soul and is soon quenched without disturbing the soul. 
How is that possible? How do we experience that? Well, it begins by acknowledging that you holding on to the ledger against someone else is sin, every bit as much as whatever sin they committed against you. We start with, God, I'm sinning by being unforgiving, and I repent of that. We forgive, and then we forgive. Then we cancel the debt, and we forgive, not because it's deserved, but because we have been forgiven. Let me give you a, a practical way that you can put this into to practice, something that I have done before I know others have done. Maybe you don't have a written ledger of what someone has done to you. Uh, it's probably just up in your head. I would encourage you, write it down. Write, write down your, your ledger. What is it that someone has done to you? And then you, you take that ledger, you take that list, and you hold it out to the Lord and say, God, I'm, I'm ready to be done with this. I'm ready to stop holding this against, holding on to this list. I'm, I'm ready to get rid of it. And what I have done before is, sometimes if I write it out in pen, I'll take then like a big fat like Sharpie or something, and then I'll write over the list, canceled. The debt is, I'm, I'm declaring the debt canceled. And then if you wanna take it a step further, go burn the list and then it's gone, it's ashes, it's history. Now that, that doesn't take care of all the feelings, okay? That doesn't mean you're never gonna feel angry or hurt again, okay? This is not a magic formula, but what it is is an intentionality of saying, God, what you have done for me in Christ, I'm gonna extend that same mercy to another person, they, they don't deserve it. They may have no idea that you're even doing any of this and you may never even have that conversation. You may not be able to have that conversation with them. This is really between you and the Lord more than it is between you and the other person. And so when we do that, when, when we hold on to the ledger, we have positioned ourselves then to be like, the man, the servant, the unforgiving servant in the story who gets thrown into prison, who gets thrown into a prison in your, your mind, in your emotions. You're trapped. You can't move forward into the future. Jesus invites us out of the prison, and when you forgive, when you let go of the ledger, when you get rid of it, then you get to be free, and you get to walk on in the love that God has extended to you. Let's pray. Father, I pray for the person in this room that's, that's been holding on to something that has been very hurtful and wounding to them. And Lord, may today be their day to let go of holding on to that list and that ledger. Lord, um, no one gets away with anything in, in this world, and we trust you to bring justice. Venge you say, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and you call us then to forgive as you have forgiven. We trust you to be the just judge. We entrust that person who hurt us into your hands, and Lord, we entrust ourselves into your hands, saying that Lord, because you have been so gracious, so generous to me, not just to get rid of my ledger, but to give me a new ledger that is full, filled with righteousness because of Christ. We can't do that for another person. Only you can do that for them. But we can get rid of the ledger that we hold on to. And I pray you give us 
the strength to do that. In Jesus' name.